Thanks to Noom for supporting Muller She Wrote. Getting in shape isn't about a number on the scale, and Noom helps you develop new relationships with food, build healthier habits, and feel better about yourself. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com slash ag. And thanks to Noemi for supporting Muller She Wrote. Noemi designs and manufactures everything in-house and sells directly to consumers with a lifetime warranty and free shipping. Go to hellonoemi.com slash ag to get $50 off your first purchase with promo code ag. And thanks to Third Love for supporting Muller She Wrote. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash ag to find yours today. This is Jack Bryan, the co-writer and director of Active Measures, and you are listening to Muller She Wrote. Lucky you. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Muller She Wrote. I'm your host, A.G., and with me today is no one. Just you and I. Sharing our love Yes, that is right. Uh, Mandy is celebrating her birthday in London, and Jordan is taking a day off today. I am here, uh, and I'm going to bring you the news, and we have a big show for you today with all your favorites. I'm AG, obviously, and uh, we do have an interview about the trustworthiness of the Southern District of New York and Lev Parnas with real-life lawyer and host of the Opening Arguments podcast, Andrew Torres. So I'm really looking forward to that. We do have a lot of news to cram in, but first, we have some corrections. It's a mistake. It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. Oh, I made a mistake. <laughs> Okay, so from Crystal Denecki, I believe that's how that's pronounced. Uh, let me know if it's not. Martha Stewart wasn't convicted for insider trading. She was convicted of making false statements to federal investigators and obstructing an agency proceeding. Uh, this is an excellent example of how someone can crime by impeding an investigation, even if it's never proven that they did the thing they were originally being investigated for. Uh, on the other hand, I've always supported, or excuse me, she says, I've always suspected that someone chose to make an example of Ms. Stewart in particular because she's a, su- a successful woman. Uh, as we all know, that was Comey. He wrote about it in his book, A Higher Lawyer Loyalty, and said, if I didn't go after her, then I wouldn't be applying the law equally to everyone. But that's an interesting theory. Uh, another correction from Kate McCullough, former FBI. She says, uh, this isn't necessarily a correction because you glossed over the comments pretty quickly, but I heard twice, Tuesday and Thursday, regarding FBI investigation investigating Burisma and um, the hack by the GRU. She says, I doubt the FBI would investigate without Ukraine asking. It's completely out of U.S. jurisdiction. It is a Ukrainian company hacked by a foreign intelligence service. Maybe NSA or CIA would have interest in methods. But from my limited experience, I don't see how the FBI would have authority to proactively investigate. And that's a really good point, um, Kate. What I was thinking was that the FBI was investigating 
a, a yet again um, a foreign government interfering in our elections, and that might be part of that investigation. So, but you know, you're right. It's this is Russia hacking uh, Burisma in Ukraine, and so unless the FBI were looking into that being somehow connected to Trump or the Trump campaign or uh, other interests in the United States, I don't think the FBI would be out there doing it on their own. Although we did get a story from the New York Times, I think last month, saying that they were um, not, they would, wouldn't say they were officially investigating, um, you know, Russia <clears throat> interfering in, in, our, in our 2020 elections, but that could be part of it. And then uh, from Jose Pineda on Daily Beans, one of you mentioned the oldest millennial was 35. As a 37-year-old person, I felt compelled to tell you that according to the bastion of truth that is Wikipedia, uh, a reference that proves I am a millennial, millennials are the cohort born between 1981 to 1996, generally reaching adulthood in the early 21st century. All right, well, thank you for that. And then Jeff Nathan says, using the no-fly list as a means to prevent gun ownership is an awful idea, one rejected by the ACLU. And then uh, they have a couple of links here. It's plagued with inaccuracies and common names. Worse, it's a list of people too dangerous to fly under any circumstances, but too innocuous to be arrested. And while I agree with that, I think what I want to say is that if they fix the no-fly list, I I know it's got problems with it, then that might be something to use. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't say to use it as it is with all of its errors and mistakes that it currently has. Uh, as pointed out by the ACLU. But thank you for that correction. And uh, Roan Katow says, in this past Sunday's episode, Maul Panafort, at 2032, you mentioned California State Senator John Morgan from Brentwood, who works for a cybersecurity firm called Area One. And uh, Rowan says, jo- uh, John Morgan is a state senator from New Hampshire, not California. Well, there that is a legit correction. I thought Brentwood worked for Area One, which is based in California. I thought he was a Californian, but he is not. He is New Hampshire state senator. So thank you. And then Harvey Hurst says on Tuesday, January 21st, AG mentioned again that Arizona didn't have an MLK holiday until 2006. But here's the timeline. In 1986, the holiday was declared by Governor Bruce Babbitt, a Democrat. And in 1987, the holiday was repealed by Governor Evan Meekham, Republican. That's, I think, the guy that was recalled. And replaced by Rose Mofford. And then in 1992, Arizona voters reinstated the holiday by referendum. So that was it, 1992. There was a vote in 1990, but because there were two competing propositions, neither got enough votes. All right, those are corrections. Thank you for sending them in. If you have any corrections, please visit MullerSheWrote.com, click contact, select corrections, and build us a compliment sandwich. We'll get it right eventually, I promise. And with corrections out of the way, let's get to the news with just the facts. Okay, so let's do a quick impeachment update for you. For more robust impeachment coverage, check out our sister podcast called The Daily Beans. Uh, It comes out early tomorrow morning, or if you're a patron of this podcast, you can get The Daily Beans ad-free and the night before it goes out to the public. Uh, So this week, the trial started in earnest. We know last week... Um, they were all they, they signed the oath book and, and Chief Justice John Roberts was sworn in. But this is when they started the debate on the rules. And then the Dems took 21 of their 24 hours laying out the facts in a very impressive presentation that even Lindsey Graham and Matt Gates admitted was really well done. A lot of Republicans were like, hey, well done. Um, I think Matt Gates actually said something like that was so great, you know, and then the Trump's defense team looked like uh they were doing an eighth grade book report. And then he said, never mind, eighth graders probably know how to use iPads and PowerPoint. So interesting. 
Um, so the Republicans did start their defense uh, and uh, took only, and that was Saturday, and they took only two hours of the eight, a little over two, of the eight that they had available to them. Uh, their defense was pretty weak. They brought up the Ukraine 2016 conspiracy theory um, that they hacked the elections and actually made a really good case for witnesses by repeating over and over that they haven't heard from firsthand witnesses. That makes the case for witnesses and documents, even if you don't believe the House manager's facts. Although a lot of Republican senators have said, look, it's it's not so much that um, we don't want witnesses or a fair trial. It's that we have to consider what the House sent us and they didn't do their job by going through the courts to get uh, all these subpoenas for witnesses and testimony. They should have done that. And, you know, they compare it to the Clinton trial. But, of course, Clinton, they had like, over a year of a Ken Starr investigation with all the depositions and everything. And, and in this case, uh, as you know, Pelosi and, and the House managers are like, look, it was, and it was urgent. It was an emergency to get this done because if we had litigated this, if we had let the subpoena for Kupperman go through, if we'd subpoenaed Bolton and Mulvaney, um, it would have gone through the courts, it would have been delayed, and it probably would have gone past this election. And that is not good because, you know, as, as you know, he, you know, Trump will cheat in this election. But that sort of was my whole point about holding the articles, because I don't think impeaching him and acquitting him is going to stop him from cheating. But, you know, again, I've always, not always, but I have learned Nancy has a plan and we'll see how this works out. Um, and also running in parallel to the impeachment is the real world where evidence keeps coming out implicating the president, including the breaking news this weekend that an audio tape exists of Trump telling Parnas and a small group, in- including Fruman and Jr. at a dinner in April of 2018 at the Trump D.C. hotel downtown to get rid of Yovanovitch. ABC or excuse me, CBS released the audio And we clearly hear Trump saying, get rid of her, get her out tomorrow, get her out tomorrow. Okay, do it. And we have that audio. um, We play it on the Daily Beans. And for more conversation about that tape and some of the other things said during that meeting um, that the House had on audio um, that carries massive implications for the Trump administration, you can stick around for the interview today with uh, Andrew Torres. We're going to talk about that. Uh, Also in impeachment news, Mike Pompeo has come out saying he's willing to testify if legally required, which means... He, he knows he won't be legally required because he's a chicken shit. And he's made that clear in his embarrassing performance in an NPR interview with Mary Louise Kelly, in which he refuses to answer Ukraine questions, then afterwards yells at her for as long as the interview took, saying, do you think Americans give a fuck about Ukraine? And then asking her if she can point out Ukraine on a map and then had a blank gotcha map ready to go. And then she did point it out and then he snatched it away and said, people will hear about this. And then he left. So that was all on the record. Um, So NPR released the story about the coda to that interview, and Pompeo made an official statement in response, accusing Mary Louise Kelly of lying to him twice because she said she wouldn't ask about Ukraine and because she thought the post-interview was off the record. Neither of those things are true. He then called the media unhinged and said, well, implied she was unable to point out Ukraine on the map, saying... You know, oh, Bangladesh is not Ukraine. And I think he's actually I think he's actually confusing Bangladesh with Budapest. But, that you know, either way, he admitted he carries blank maps around with him like a fucking weirdo. That's just <laughs> that's just astounding to me. Secretary of State. That's your secretary of state. Anyhow, Pompeo would not agree to testify, I don't think, if he actually had to, which makes me think the administration is certain there will be uh, no vote for witnesses or a couple. Not enough. Not not a majority, though. New polling 
show 72% of Americans want them, want witnesses and documents, including 69% of Republicans. So they may vote no for witnesses, but I think they'll pay the price in 2020. And then next uh, in the news, the Justice Department is conceding that it had insufficient cause to continue to monitor Carter Page, hat boy. Uh, According to records made public late Thursday, the Department of Justice told the court that two of the four FISA applications for renewal for Carter Page had insufficient predication to establish probable cause. Now, is anyone surprised that Bill Barr is telling the courts in opposition to the inspector general's findings that they did not have enough evidence to surveil Carter Page? First, nothing grabbed from the surveillance of Page was used in or to open any other investigations into Trump or Russia. Second, Carter Page wasn't charged with anything. The warrants were issued in September of 2016. Crossfire Hurricane was opened in earnest months earlier, based on the Papadopoulos drunk brag. And third, nobody gives a shit about Carter Page. Yet this Department of Justice keeps trying to make this FISA thing the entire crux of their defense that Russia didn't hack the elections and Mueller was appointed improperly, despite the multiple convictions Mueller got and every single federal judge that found Mueller's appointment authorized. And so it's just kind of, you know, everyone's pointing to this. All the conservatives and, and, and Trumpers are like, oh, look, uh, the Department of Justice itself is saying, it, you know, it didn't have enough. It didn't have predicate to to get these FISA warrants. And, you know, yes, there were mistakes made with the FISA warrants. But again, none, nothing from Carter Page was used. Carter Page was not with the Trump campaign while he was being surveilled. It's just the weirdest defense to hang your hat on, um, so to speak, your Carter Page hat, your floppy uh, Padres free hat night hat. Uh, also in the news, last December, Congress passed a defense bill, National Defense Authorization Act, uh, which included a provision ordering the DNI or Director of National Intelligence to provide Congress an unclassified report identifying those responsible for the murder of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi. The uh, And that was in the Saudi Arabian consulate in Istanbul in 2018, as we know. That deadline passed last week and nothing from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. And that's in violation of the National Defense Authorization Act. That's against the law. And as we know, the CIA has concluded Mohammed Bonesaw or Mohammed bin Salman ordered the killing. Ron Wyden, a senator, has written uh, to Joseph McGuire, that's the DNI, saying our office has asked the ODNI, that's the office of the DNI, uh, about the status of that information and has not received a response. So that's really interesting. And according to BuzzFeed, the provision in the NDAA required conclusions and evidence about the advanced knowledge and role of any current or former official of the government of Saudi Arabia or any current or former senior Saudi political figure over the directing, ordering, or tampering of evidence. And it asked for a list of foreigners that were responsible for or complicit in ordering, controlling, or otherwise directing an act or acts contributing to or causing Khashoggi's death, as well as anyone who impeded the impartial investigation of his killing. So all that sort of going on um, behind the scenes while this impeachment trial is is headed towards now Monday. I think we're going to have a full or a close to a full eight hour presentation by uh, Trump's legal team and also on on Tuesday. And then uh, Wednesday and Thursday, maybe Friday, I expect to do the the questions by senators. Uh, I think it's a 16-hour block. Then there will be a four-hour debate and then a vote up or down on whether witnesses will happen. Romney has said he's likely to vote for witnesses. But as you know, we need four uh, Republican senators to break ranks and, and vote for them. 
And of course, uh, Murkowski and Collins are just shocked by what they heard uh, Adam Schiff say uh, when he reported something that came out from CBS News uh, that uh, someone had heard, an unnamed source had heard Trump threaten senators saying he would put their heads on pikes if they voted against him. And now they're saying, well, that just makes me so angry that you would say that, that uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to shit all over the Constitution now because I'm 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 mad you hurt my feelings. So, uh, yes, feelings are real. Yes, people have feelings. But uh, I don't think that that's a reason to not take your oath to the Constitution or your job as a senator seriously. I think. uh, But honestly, I think they were looking for any anything, any way out um, uh, to, to be able to convince their constituents that uh, they shouldn't vote for witnesses. I'm surprised they use that as an excuse. Uh, we'll be right back with Hot Notes in the Fantasy Indictment League, so stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this episode of Muller She Wrote is brought to you by Noom. Getting in shape doesn't have to be about losing weight uh, or a magic number on the scale. It's about building healthier habits and feeling better. Uh, I'm fitting into that favorite pair of jeans. Um, maybe that's your goal, maybe not, maybe more energy is, but there's many reasons you might want to practice self-care, and every person is different. That's why I love this new habit change program from Noom. Noom adjusts to your lifestyle. They teach you the psychology behind the decisions you make that might throw up obstacles and help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyzing your diet and a great food log and recommending healthy recipes, and it's all right in one app. I used to have to have five different apps to do all those things, and now it's all in the Noom app. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and a community of other Noomers, so you have all the support you need to empower your change. Uh, I basically started this a year ago. I wanted more energy. Uh, The initial uh, thing was that I lost 17 pounds. That's cool. I've been able to keep it off with Noom because you pick the goals that are right for you, and Noom personalizes the program to help your goals become reality. It's based on a cognitive behavioral approach, and it uses personalized courses to help you reach your specific goals. Uh, You don't have to commit to a rigorous plan either. It's just 10 minutes a day, and they make it really convenient with the Noom app. Noom doesn't tell you what to do and what not to do. It teaches you how to look inside your own mind and make better decisions for yourself. And if you go off track, there's no guilt, there's no shaming. Just tips to help you get back on track tomorrow. It's a perfect time to make a step towards healthier habits. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash A-G. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash AG to start your trial today. That's Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash AG. All right. Welcome back. Hot notes. First of all, there was a story that came out um, uh, about a month ago from Forensic News Net, our friend Scott Stedman, and that it was about, you know, possible... Um, Trump getting loans from a subsidiary of Deutsche Bank called, I think, DBTCA. And they have, and as soon as they put that story out um, with their um, whistleblower, uh, Val Brooksmith, uh, they they had a DDoS attack on their site. It was shut down um, and they were threatened to be sued and all that. And now just recently this month, uh, or excuse me, this week, they put out another story. Um, they have now documents showing that a Russian bank, VEB, Vaneshkanam Bank, put $500 million into DBTCA while DBTCA was lending to Trump. Um, there are no direct connections yet, but I would really highly recommend you go to Forensic News Net uh, and check out this story. Uh, as soon as they posted it, they were under DDoS attack again. Somebody's very angry about this. Um and, uh, you know, VEB is one of our top choices for the mystery company from country A. 
which we haven't heard anything about since June. Um, that was the last uh, reporting that we got uh, from that court case. That, of course, is when Mueller subpoenaed, uh, you know, under seal this this uh, financial institution wholly owned by a, a foreign government that does uh, considerable business in the United States. They were being uh, held in contempt for $50,000 a day. I know you remember all that from last year, um, if you've been listening to Mueller, she wrote for a while. And so I don't know if that's connected to this or if if that's something that Mueller was looking into and then stopped and handed off because we know Rod Rosenstein was in charge of telling uh, Mueller what he had to hand off. And just a real quick thing about Mueller before I get into my hot note, my full on hot note here. Um, a lot of people are still Mueller, you know, saying Mueller is a coward. He didn't come out and say enough. Why didn't he come out and call Trump to the, you know, to the carpet or whatever? Is that a thing? Calling people to the carpet? I don't I don't know. Um, and and here's the answer. Um, and I, I've said this a million times till I was blue in the face. But first of all, it was Rod Rosenstein who directed what he could and couldn't. Um, investigate. He created the scope. He created the scope memos, and then he had to have permission along the way uh, and and had cases handed off. We know Mueller didn't look into the finances. He didn't follow the money. He didn't. He also didn't check to see if the vote count was altered or not um, uh, based on Russian interference. And the most important thing, the reason Mueller didn't come out and say, Trump, uh, I, I can't indict him, but he definitely committed obstruction of justice, is because if he did that, he he knows that Trump could be prosecuted after he leaves office as a civilian if we vote him out this time because the statute of limitations is five years. And if he had come out and said Trump's a criminal, but I'm not charging him. First of all, he said constitutionally, that's not fair because Trump doesn't get a trial in which to defend himself and confront his accuser. But second of all, it could taint any future prosecution. So if, if imagine Mueller came out and said Trump, he committed obstruction of justice and then Trump leaves office and then somebody in the Southern District of New York or the, the new U.S. Attorney General wants to go after Trump for obstruction of justice. Trump has a really great argument. Hey, um, I, I can't. Th- this is not going to be a fair trial because I had a special counsel, Mueller, come out and call me a criminal. No jury is going to give me a fair trial. The whole thing is tainted. And even if they did go through a trial, they would be able to call a mistrial pretty easily. And so that is why he did not. That is why Mueller was like so adamant. Yes, you can prosecute him when he leaves office. Yes. Yes, you can. And no, I'm not going to say he's a criminal because then you can't. <laughs> so uh, I just want everyone to sort of understand that. Uh, I know people are angry that Mueller didn't you know, come out more forcefully. But there, there are reasons for that. And uh, I just wanted to get that off my chest. And <clears throat> speaking of Trump and Russian banks... We know that the Mueller memos are coming out in batches every month in the BuzzFeed and CNN FOIA cases. Um, But we have noted that a lot of those documents are heavily redacted. And just recently, BuzzFeed raised the issue that the Department of Justice was blocking the release of the Kushner FBI interview notes, known as 302s. Um, I thought the 31-page redacted interview that was released January 3rd might have been the Kushner interview. But the Department of Justice is now responding Uh, saying uh, they're still reviewing the Kushner materials for redactions. A lawyer for the Department of Justice, uh, Courtney Enlow, informed CNN that uh, the Kush 302 will be released with the appropriate redactions as soon as the member of the intelligence community that's reviewing it is finished with their review to ensure that it's properly redacted. The Department of Justice did not say which intelligence agency was reviewing it 
or who the intelligence officer is that's reviewing it or how long it would take. But currently, the Department of Justice is in violation of Judge Reggie Walton's order. And so here we have that constitutional crisis everybody's talking about um, when there's a direct court order and the Department of Justice is, is failing to, to comply with it. Because Walton had ordered the Department of Justice to hand over the material to CNN and BuzzFeed as part of their FOIA suit by January 17th, including the Kushner 302. And in the meantime, uh, I would like for any uh, dispensary, if you're listening, to name a strain, uh, Kush 302. I think it's a great name. Uh, the odd thing, back to <laughs> back to the story here, is that there's been a lot of damning things coming out uh, of the Mueller document dump. So it's clear why Kushner's would merit further delay. Um, but it's not clear why it would merit scrutiny. Um, and, and Judge Walton has warned the Department of Justice in the past that if the redacted things are not redacted appropriately, he would not hesitate to look behind each black bar to determine if the appropriateness of the redaction himself. He said, I'll go through it myself, line by line, to make sure these are appropriate. And according to Caitlin Polance at CNN, she's one of the um, uh, folks in the in the FOIA suit, uh, along with um, uh, who, who, uh, Leopold, Jason Leopold at BuzzFeed, the FBI's been consulting with other agencies as it releases the 302s, and more documents are expected to be, be released in early February. And we don't know if the trial will be over by then. I know that Trump's goal is to have it done by February 3rd, 4th, uh, the State of the Union address. And I don't know that we'll get another dump by then. I'm certain when they put out the Kushner interview, it'll be any of the good stuff will be redacted. But while this is happening, we, of course, have the Mueller grand jury material case that's working its way through the Supreme Court. And we expect a decision in the June-July time frame on that. And don't forget, the Department of Justice and other agencies are also hard at work redacting and releasing Ukraine documents, also filed for in a, in a court FOIA case, or multiple FOIA cases. Uh, the House is still investigating the Mueller obstruction of justice and is also awaiting the McGahn testimony with a decision also due in the June-July time frame. And it has said it has not ruled out additional articles of impeachment for obstruction of justice in the Mueller investigation, but it has to do its own investigation. It can't rely on the Mueller report. It has to do its own. Um, Kushner was being looked at by Mueller for a multitude of reasons outside the June 2016 Trump Tower meeting knowledge that he had. Uh, so, you know, trying to think of why they would be delaying this and trying to redact it. He was also tied to the Qatar Investment Authority, the head, also the head of a Russian think tank who CNN doesn't name in their article. But if you listen to Mueller, she wrote, you know, it's Dmitry Symes, who showed up hundreds of times in the Mueller report, who may have been the handler for Maria Butina. We also know uh, that Kushner companies and, and Russian individuals exchanged like suspicious money transfers during the 2016 election, according to a former Deutsche Bank employee that spoke to The New York Times. That was a while back. We reported on that. And Kush also met with Russian banker Sergei Gorkov, the CEO of uh, Vineshkanom Bank, or VEB. Uh, we mentioned that earlier, a sanctioned Russian bank. And of course, Kush met with Kislyak a few times during the campaign and during the transition. Uh, Kushner spoke to Mueller's team at least three times that we know of in 2017 and 2018. And there's a lot that could be hidden in his uh, 302s. So some of that might be tied to open and ongoing or stalled investigations into Deutsche Bank or the secret company from Country A, as I mentioned earlier, or the bailout of the 666 Fifth Avenue Devil Building. Um, the connections of Torsion, Symes, and Butina could be the Cutter Investment Authority's cut of the, the selling off of um, the, the Russian state-owned oil company. 
And and there was supposed to be a half a percent commission of about $280 million that's gone walkies. We don't know where that is. That could be in there. And what deals, if any, were made with VEB to potentially secure funding for debt property, for property debt? And whatever it is, it seems very important. And I'm, I certainly hope Judge Walton will take a look at the redactions for appropriateness when BuzzFeed and CNN finally get those 302s. Uh, we haven't heard from Walton. If we do, I'll let you know. Um, but this is probably as close as we're going to get to the Mueller material, because in the June-July SCOTUS decision on the grand jury stuff Nadler filed for last July 27th, uh, that'll be kept secret because of the rules governing grand jury secrecy. Remember, we didn't get the Jaworski roadmap from the Nixon grand jury until 2018. So hats off to the fourth estate for their diligent work filing FOIA suits and getting this information out to the public. All righty, all ready for sabotage. <laughs> Okay, a new court filing has revealed corruption at the very tippy top of the Trump inaugural. Uh, All this week, we've been discussing the charges brought against Zuberi uh, in the Daily Beans podcast. And during our interview last week with Joyce Vance, we discussed the difference between an indictment and an information. uh, And that's why this didn't count as an indictment for the Fantasy Indictment League, because it appears Zuberi is cooperating. Uh, At least that's the signal. Uh, This is in the Southern District of New York. And as a refresher, Zuberi is the only person that was named in the sweeping subpoena of the inaugural committee a year ago, last February. And now we think, uh, or excuse me, and now this week in a new lawsuit brought by the D.C. Attorney General named Carl Racine, um, they show Rick Gates (laughs) received a quote from the Trump D.C. hotel for $3.6 million for eight days, $450,000 a day. And then Gates emailed Ivanka saying that's quite high compared to other property buyouts for the week. And he was worried about the optics of the inaugural paying a Trump hotel uh, and paying them a high fee. Ivanka said, let me see what I can do. And then uh, told Gates a few days later she had a new quote, just 175000 a day, um, a rate that still far exceeds like properties in the area, though. And at that point, if you're you know a longtime listener, you'll remember uh, this as we've been on this story for years now. Melania's friend Wolkoff, that's Melania Trump's friend. Uh, who was given $26 million to organize the events, told Ivanka and Gates she was concerned about what would happen if they were audited. This will all come out when we're audited. So Racine is suing for a return of the money so it can be distributed to real nonprofits in D.C. and alleging that the inaugural broke the D.C. nonprofit rules. So that's sabotage for today. And with that, let's play the Fantasy Indictment League. I'm going to be indicted! No, it is going to be a... Indicted! Honey, dick. Indicted! I'm going to be indicted! Oh, they can't. It's going to be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm going to be indicted! Okay, it's just me today, so I get all the picks. Um, I am going to go with uh, superseding Parnas uh, and Giuliani, if the Southern District isn't corrupt. <laughs> uh, I'm also going to go with that guy who altered the FISA application email. I think his name's Klein Smith. Uh, I'm sure Barr will go after that guy. Uh, I'm going to go superseding Fruman. And then I'm also going to go with Michael Flynn uh, because I'm not sure if the prosecutors are happy with just his one charge now that he's withdrawn his guilty plea from last week. All right. We now have coming up in a minute right after this break, the interview with Andrew Torres from Opening Arguments. It's a great podcast that is coming up next. We're going to discuss Parnas. So stick with us. Hey, everybody. This segment of Muller She Wrote is brought to you by Noemi. 
Anyone who shops for jewelry knows it can be insanely expensive, but Noemi believes that luxury jewelry doesn't have to be overpriced. They cut out the middleman to deliver exceptional, fine jewelry without the traditional retail markups. Noemi designs and manufactures everything in-house and sells directly to consumers with a lifetime warranty and free shipping both ways. You can save an average of 50% compared to other luxury brands. Authenticity is guaranteed with an IGI certificate detailing color, clarity, and appraisal value. You can personalize your jewelry with engravings or add uh, order. You can order custom designs. But best of all, you can return any order for a full refund, even engravings and custom designs. They have no hassle returns and exchanges. It's literally an entirely risk-free experience. Uh, I ordered my um, friendship ring. Uh, from Noemi. It came in beautiful packaging. It's such good quality. It's just absolutely beautiful. I love it. It's simple. The lines are gorgeous. And I saved so much money. Uh, And you can even use flexible payment options with no hidden costs and no extra charges. Read the thousands of five-star reviews on their website and see for yourself. So if you're looking for quality fine jewelry made to last a lifetime from a luxury brand you can trust, it's Noemi. They have thousands of five-star reviews online, and we suggest reading some and see why people are raving about this company. Go to hellonoemi.com slash AG to see their collection and get $50 off your first purchase with promo code AG. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-O-E-M-I-E dot com slash AG. And don't forget to use promo code AG for $50 off your first purchase. Uh, joining us today for the interview from the Opening Arguments podcast is real-life lawyer and real-life friend, Andrew Torres. Andrew, thanks for coming on Mueller, She Wrote. Hey, G, thanks for having me. Love coming on the show. It's been a while. How are you? I am doing fantastically well, although, you know, like like you, I'm, I'm pretty much mainlining caffeine because uh, the events in the news keep changing every few seconds, so... Yeah, it's it's a scary time in which we live and have our <laughs> jobs. But uh, but there you go. How are yeah, you? I'm good. And I, I just wanted to give everybody a fair warning here. When Andrew and I talk, we, we tend to interrupt each other. Uh, it is uh, no disrespect on either side. I just wanted you to be aware of it. We're going to do our best not to. But I just wanted to give you all fair warning. Sometimes people people I can't believe she cut you off Andrew and I can't believe he cut you off AG and I just I wanted to let everybody know it's out of nothing but love it, it is it is the the ultimate level of respect because I, I I know at least on my end I just can't wait to, to dive into what you're saying because uh, you always ask such fantastic questions and have such great points so well thank you and I think we I think we do honestly have a really good push and pull in a conversation so yeah. uh, Let's kick it off. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the Southern District of New York. Uh, As you probably know, our listeners certainly know, we used to have a saying on this podcast, you know, because Martin Luther King Jr. used to say the arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And we said the arc of justice is long, but it bends towards the Southern District of New York. But ever since Barr took over in February of last year um, and the Cohen case was shut down and we haven't heard anything about any of the referred Mueller cases, Giuliani hasn't been arrested, and that Levin and Igor, Igor, might have actually been set up by Berman and Barr with the help of Hannity and Giuliani. I feel like Americans are losing faith in the Southern District, if not the Department of Justice in general. And I was wondering what your thoughts are on the Southern District these days. And and do you think Barr should recuse himself from the Levin-Igor case, they, as, as, as Lev Parnas and his lawyer have requested? Yeah, wow. So um, there's a lot in that. Let's let's try and unpack it. And I mean, I, I, as, as I think you know, right? I I tend to trust in our in, in um, I don't like conspiracy theories, right? Um, and and I do want to say at the outset, right? We have zero evidence that 
Jeffrey Berman, right, the current U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, that he's compromised in any way, right? He prosecuted Michael Cohen. He prosecuted uh, the, uh, Natasha Vomitskaya. He indicted, uh, you know, Parnas and, and Furman, right? So um, I don't think there's, I, 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 I wouldn't make that argument. And I think recently he he's entering into an agreement or did an information charge on Zuberi from the inaugural. Was That was him, too, I believe. Yep. So so look, I don't think Berman is a hack. Right. I don't think Berman is compromised. I do think there are a number of things that make it easy for Bill Barr to put his thumb on the scale. And and let's take a step back. I mean, to me, you know, kind of what the. The, the, the fundamental story that I don't understand why it's not being covered, um, and, and part of it is because this is one of my most spectacularly failed predictions, uh, but I, I predicted in April of 2018 that Bill Barr would be impeached by May of, of 2018, right? I mean, here is somebody who essentially released a, quote, summary of the Mueller report that in essence, omitted the word not in multiple places, right? I mean, this is just something that is, uh, you know, unconscionable and beyond the pale. And, uh, you know, that seems to have, like, washed over everybody as the attorney general has morphed the job of the nation's top law enforcement official and representative of the United States of America into the personal representative of Donald Trump. Um, and, 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 and look, like, I can't stress highly enough. Look, <laughs> let, let, let's put it this way. You well know, right, the, if you're an executive branch employee, there are 38 separate laws that are meant to apply to your conduct, right? You get that in your employee handbook manual. Um, and those are things, you know, they range from uh, basically, give you one example, right? 5 U.S.C. 7351 is the statute that pr- makes it illegal for you to give a gift to an official superior, right? You can't, like, participate in a, you know, Christmas exchange, uh, you know, holiday, like, I'm going to give you a $5 gift. Like, that is prohibited by federal law. Right? And Interacting with all of that is 18 U.S.C. 205, which prohibits any government employee or any U.S. attorney, other than in the proper discharge of their duties, from acting as an agent for anyone before any department in connection with any matter in which the United States is a party or has a direct and substantial interest, right? So put all that together. I, I know I'm, I'm being verbose here. <laughs> no, no, no. We, we do have all these rules. Like, you know, and if and if I worked for a contractor and then I work for the government, I can't have anything to do with that contractor for two years. And I can't have work on if they use them as a contractor. I can't be a part of that. I have to recuse myself from it. it, it and, and that I, I really love that you that you brought that up, right? Because these laws, right, are meant to overlap, right? And, and by that, I mean one, one instance of conduct might violate five or six different statutes because that's an indication where when you're brainstorming uh, as the Congress and you're like, look, what do we want to do? We want to broadly make it such that if you work in the executive branch, you're not trying to do the bidding of anybody other than the government, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we want nothing that would corrupt the government's decision-making process. And that, that phrase, by the way, comes directly from the 
Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit, right? corrupt the government's decision-making process. And so, as, as you point out, right, these statutes go beyond just formal legal conflicts, right? Like, it's also a conflict of interest if uh, a federal employee shows up at an uncontested hearing, right? Like, a, 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 let's say, a patent application, right? Like, you apply for a patent that's not an adversarial process. There's no, but but if an an, an an executive branch employee shows up and says, "Hey, um, I really think you ought to approve," you know, USPTO, you really ought to approve this patent. Um, that's that's a felony. Okay, <laughs> so so put all of that together. William Barr's conduct since assuming the office of Attorney General has been felonious okay, has been in violation of multiple laws. And by the way, these laws get litigated fairly frequently, right? Like there are nearly 100 cases uh, that, that, that litigate the, uh, the, the Section 205 that I just described. So put all of that together. It is beyond inappropriate that Bill Barr is involved in the things in which Bill Barr is involved, right? That, that he intercepted the ICIG report and, you know, tried to... Uh, statutorily put the kibosh on uh, transmittal of the whistleblower complaint to Congress, right? It's, it's spectacularly ridiculous that he is the, the person uh, that Donald Trump mentions on the July 25th call with Zelensky. Um, it's, it, this, is just, this is a scandal, and um, I want people to be more outraged over that. Well, we can take this all the way back to the Mueller report, can't we? Because uh, he's a Kirkland and he's a fe- he's a former Kirkland and Ellis guy, I believe, uh, which represented Alpha Bank uh, at some point, And he shouldn't have had his hands anywhere near uh, the Mueller investigation, the Mueller report, uh, any of it but for that alone. I'm sure there are many other uh, conflicts of interest, certainly more more conflicted than, let's say, Mueller was for not paying a golf fee at uh at Doral or whatever the fuck. I mean, you know, I, it, it, I, I, as, as, as I've said on my show before, uh, it, it is astonishing to me that you and I are uh, nostalgic for the uh, heady days of the ethics of uh, Jeff Sessions, but like literally <laughs> that's where we are. Right. There, that those, those were the depths below we, which we thought we could not sink, and, uh, and, and now here we are. So, um, okay, I think that's a pretty strong case about what, what, what Bill Barr is doing. And then the question is, could he put his thumb on the scale? And the answer to that is, that's trivially easy for him to do, mm-hmm. okay? Um, it, it, it's easy in a number of ways, right? Because certain, uh, it, it, there is... Uh, there is such a real thing as prosecutorial discretion, um, but some prosecutions, I, I, I can't go through the list of all the statutes, but some specifically require the attorney general to sign off. Um, and, and even those that don't, right, there's this culture of communication inside the DOJ, right? I don't know anybody at the Southern District. I, I, I just want to make that clear. Um, but I know lots of people who have been AUSAs, and I know six of the past uh, U.S. attorneys in the District of Maryland, right? And the way in which decisions get made is is collaborative, right? It is um, you you sit around and you talk and you run that up the chain. And so, yeah, I mean, we've we've all watched Billions, right? I mean, that's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish Paul Giamatti was the Attorney General right now. 
Oh gosh, I wish. Yeah, I wish. I wish Paul Giamatti from the end of Sideways was the Attorney General. Right? <laughs> that would right? be great. Um, <laughs> so uh, and 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 then uh, so so number one, you kind of have this culture of communication. Number two, you have a real push and pull. And again, I, I don't I don't want to impugn anybody, right? Because if you're a good and faithful public servant. It's, it must be hard to work on, you know, in an executive branch agency under Trump. Um, but but it's not the right it's not the right answer to just say, oh, well, you know, you should quit and resign. Right. Number one, that means you're no longer right. Like that would leave only sycophants and losers. Right. Like there, there is a virtue to continuing to do your job in, inside an executive branch agency. Um, and and also it's, it's weird though because like Jesse Liu, um, who is a U.S. attorney, right? She, uh, I was talking to Joyce Vance about about the McCabe decision, and and I was like, well, if she decides to go ahead with an indictment of McCabe despite the grand jury balking on it, that that seems she would be compromised. But would she resign or would she stay in place to sort of shield? her office and and Joyce uh, was of the mind you have to resign or you're corrupt so it's kind of this hard line that you have to walk to like you said if you leave you're leaving all only yes men and sycophants but if you don't you're corrupt yeah uh, I, I I'm not I don't mean to suggest by that that there, you know, that there is no line, right? Like that, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, I'm, I was just following orders, right? <laughs> like it, 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 I, I 100% agree with, with, with Joyce Vance on that. Um, all I'm saying is that heading up uh, that I think, I think she's accurately described sort of where the line is, right? Um, which is, which is why I believe, right? If, um, if you had an unambiguous recommendation, let, let's say, right, uh, Jeffrey Berman, again, Jeffrey Berman has a, a history with, with Rudy Giuliani, but uh, if, if Berman sent up an, an unambiguous recommendation of um, here's, here's why we want to indict Giuliani and, and was then told, no, right, we're not going to do that, and then as it was revealed, you know, the, the legal justifications for that were transparent, then yes, he's got to resign. I, I, I agree with that. So, yeah. um, but, but I don't right. these are all what, what makes this difficult is that we're trying to anticipate in the absence of evidence, right? What, what's going on in the background. And I know a lot of these are judgment calls, right? And so it makes it harder even on you as an individual to sort of say like, okay, well, you know, have I, have I hit that red line yet? Um, and, and, and then, and right. And remember on top of all of that, like you, the, 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 the precedent is such that if you're a U.S. attorney, like you can be fired at any time, right. And you can be fired for political purposes with zero repercussions, right. Like you and I both remember the, the, uh, you know, Monica Goodling back in, uh, uh, 2000, December, 2006, I think. Uh, that you know compiled the spreadsheet of political activities mm-hmm. of uh, you know a half dozen U.S. attorneys who George W. Bush then fired. Um, so uh, it, it it it's a tough. All I'm saying is that is that that's a that's a tough balance. Um, I, obviously, uh, there's sort of two more components of the question. Um, Barr should recuse himself, but he won't. Um, with 
no reason to, to, to think that he will. He's just completely corrupted the office. Um, and, and, and then, you know, sort of the, the implicit question of, uh, well... All right, so basically what you're saying is it's, it's not as black and white as either Berman will either resign or indict Rudy. There's there are shades of gray in there. And uh, I do want to talk to you a little bit about um, Lev Parnas and, and what he's coming forward with and some of the amazing things that Chuck Rosenberg asked him on Matto on Friday night. We'll be right back with more uh, from Andrew Torres, so stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG. This episode of Muller She Wrote is brought to you by my new favorite woman-owned company, Third Love. I am obsessed with their bras. They design the most comfortable bras you've ever worn, tailored to perfectly fit your individual body shape. I was able to find my perfect fit in just a minute by taking their online Fit Finder quiz. They use your info plus metadata from millions of women who have taken the quiz and they take into account cup size and breast shape to find the perfect bra for you. Many women fall in between cup sizes, including myself, making it really difficult to find the perfect fit because you either get cup gap or spillage. But Third Love has over 80 bra sizes, industry leader, including their signature half cup sizes, so I was able to find the perfect fit for me. Every bra from Third Love is made with the ultimate comfort in mind, from their memory foam cups to no-slip straps, smooth, scratch-free bands, and, and a printed label on the bra so there's no itchy label. Uh, it's all designed for optimal comfort. Their team of expert fit stylists are dedicated to helping you find your perfect fit, and they're available to help via chat or email. And Third Love backs every bra with their perfect fit promise. And this is the philanthropy that I love. You have 60 days to wash it and wear it. And if it's not the perfect fit for you, returns are always free. And then they donate all of their gently used bras to people in need. And so far, Third Love has donated over $15 million in bras. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. So go to thirdlove.com slash AG now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash AG for 15% off today. All right, we're back with Andrew Torres from the Opening Arguments podcast. And Andrew, you had mentioned before the break that you had predicted in April of 2018 that Barr would be impeached. And that is... uh, Oddly, Sorry, thanks for reminding everyone of that. You know, <laughs> that is oddly the same month that Parnas and Junior and Igor and Trump had their clandestine meeting at the Trump downtown D.C. hotel, of which we've heard the audio now. And interestingly, uh, Chuck Rosenberg, Maya Wiley uh, and uh, Claire McCaskill, former Senator Claire McCaskill, who was awesome, joined Maddow on Friday night to yeah. talk about this. And Chuck Rosenberg had some interesting questions for Parnas's lawyer, Joseph Bondi, regarding the Southern District. First, he asked if they had permission from the Southern District to assist the impeach, insist in the impeachment. And, and Bondi said no. Uh, but they did get permission to travel so that Parnas could be on Maddow and Cooper, Anderson Cooper. Uh, what really happened was a judge had signed off uh, that he could release uh, his information to uh, the House Intelligence Committee. So I thought that was a very interesting question um, from, from, from Chuck Rosenberg, formerly, I think, of, of the Southern District, and, and asking if, if, if he had permission as an indicted person. So, so what do you think about that? I mean, they didn't, I don't know if they sought permission and were told no, or if they just went and got a judge to sign off on it. Is that something, do you think happens a lot? So um, here's, here's the dynamic that, that often happens with witnesses um, like Parnas, right? Um, and, and, and the first thing to understand as background is, right, we, uh, we know uh, Parnas was uh, arrested on October 9th. He was charged with uh, four uh, specific felonies. Um, 
he's pled not guilty to that, right? That that scheme, we could talk about it or not. It's it's not super relevant, but uh, but but that scheme involved uh, Ukrainian official corrupting elections in Nevada, right? Um, and so he's charged with two counts of conspiracy to violate the election laws, one count of making false statements to the Federal Elections Commission, and one count of falsification of records. And Parnas says he's not guilty of that specific crime. Um, however, one of the things that he's angling for, I'm sure you're going to ask about this, is uh, some kind of either downward departure or downward variance from the sentencing guidelines. Um, the way in which you get a departure in, in these kinds of circumstances is under Section 5K1.1, which I know you've heard of, um, from the sentencing guidelines, in which uh, a witness offers substantial assistance to authorities in the prosecution of another person who has committed an offense. I know exactly where you're going with this, because uh, I know that Parnas and Bondi, his lawyer, are saying that the Southern District wouldn't talk to him. But he is assisting in the impeachment of Donald Trump. Now, is that would that fall under that? Is since impeachment is not a, a criminal proceeding, but it is a judicial proceeding. It's it's a political process. So it will not surprise you that there is zero case law <laughs> as to whether assisting in an impeachment qualifies for a five K one point one motion. Um, but. There, there are sort of there are two things to think about in in connection with that, right? Um, the the first is at the end of the day, the sentencing guidelines themselves have been advisory for the past fifteen years, right? Since the Supreme Court's decision in the Booker and Fanfan cases, right? And so, although the sentencing guidelines are the presumptive structure that applies. Ultimately, the question of whether you are going to depart from the sentencing guidelines uh, or issue a, a sentence that is at variance with what the guidelines would say is, a, is really an issue of a memo that the sentencing judge writes, right? And then there's a question of how that, that gets reviewed on appeal, that, that, that sort of thing. So um, even if uh, even if under a, a technical application, 5K1.1 wouldn't apply to an impeachment. I think it would, by the way, to, 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 to give you a concrete answer. But even if it wouldn't, you can still depart uh, for other reasons. Um, but, but, but the second thing that's really worth knowing that I think explains a lot of the dynamic here is that it has to do with the, 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 the balance of power between the prosecutor and the defendant. Every defendant, right, once they're charged and they're looking at a pretty significant amount of prison time on the sentencing guidelines table, then says, okay, well, now I want to cooperate, right? And, and every prosecutor knows that, right? And so the leverage there is, okay, well, and, and, and this is typically what a prosecutor would say is, okay, well, um, you, great. Help us as much as you can, answer all our questions, do what we said, and then we'll evaluate that at the end and tell you whether that is, quote, substantial assistance or not. Mm -hmm. And there are hundreds, maybe thousands of cases, I know of at least hundreds, <laughs> in which uh, a defendant has rendered assistance in the prosecution of someone else, but at the end of the day, the prosecutor's office will say, yeah, yeah, you definitely assisted us. You definitely helped us. We don't think that was substantial. Um, and so... Oh, yeah, it happened with Berman and Cohen. Pattern. Yep, exactly right, right? So um, so that dynamic is, is something that prosecutors are sort of very acutely aware of. 
And when you think you have somebody who's a bad guy, and look, Parnas is a bad, bad dude, right? <laughs> and so you, you've got somebody that you think is a bad guy. They're saying, I want to offer assistance. You're like, yeah, right, I get it. Everybody wants to offer assistance. Go ahead, uh, do what you can, and then we'll judge afterwards. We're not going to make any commitments right now that says we definitely think X or Y or Z uh, counts as substantive assistance. That's how these kinds of cases get, get, get prosecuted. Yeah. And, and Bondi actually did say, because um, Rosenberg asked him, Rosenberg says, uh, because of the sentencing, oh, were so good. Uh, because of the sentencing guidelines, Parnas doesn't really need help in reducing his sentence here, but it's nice to have a cooperative record of sentencing. And he asks but Joseph Bondi if Parnas is helping with the impeachment for that favorable look. And Bondi says, yes. And, and while, you know, like you just said, we haven't seen any, you know, assistance in impeachment, we have seen witnesses get downward variance uh, or downward departure for assisting Congress. And who knows, uh, he says, the Southern District might actually at some point ask for a Parnas co- a cooperation, but so far they have not. And they also but have also not asked him to stop talking to Congress or the public. So so there's that. Uh, but I mean, the other thing here is that, that Rosenberg said to, to Bondi and this was really interesting. He says there's three reasons that the Southern District would not seek a cooperation agreement. Either it's because you're not credible, they don't need your cooperation, or because there's something else going on. And to that, Joseph Bondi replies, well, <clears throat> there's something else going on, insinuating something there, there's something nefarious in the Southern District. And I don't know Bondi from a hole in the ground, um, but... And, you know, Parnas is, like you said, he's, he's a criminal. But, like, I, I just can't figure out what it is and what's going on. So here's here's my best guess on that. And, and, and by the way, and again, I did no, I, not, well, I was going to say no disrespect to Bondi, but some disrespect to Bondi. <laughs> um, the, the, the statement about uh, that, that uh, because of the sentencing guidelines, Parnas doesn't really need that. Like, that, that's nonsense. Okay, Um, I I did a quick look, and and part of the way in which you can get away with that is because the sentencing guidelines are like 900 pages long, and you have to flip between these various sections, and it's super complicated. But basically, like, what you do is... That was Rosenberg that said that, not Bondi. Rosenberg was like, you don't really need downward departure because, I mean, the sentencing guidelines aren't that bad for, for you know, what he's done. But I've I've heard okay I didn't realize it uh, in, in in connection with that but I've I've heard Bondi make that argument and that is part of you know sort of the the background of the discussion on this um, when I look at the most serious offense right which are the the two conspiracy to commit election fraud offenses um, I get under a maximum calculation an offense level of nineteen. Right. And and look like I agree in comparison to and an offense level of 19 is 30 to 37 months. That's three years in jail. And it's in zone D. That means you basically serve all of it. You don't get any split sentences. You don't get probation. Right. Um, And and the difference between three years in jail uh, and moving that down to a 16, which would be two years in jail, we're moving it down to a 13, which would be a split sentence and maybe less than a year in jail. Uh, to me, that's pretty significant. Um, and so, you know, I don't, I don't agree with the, with the premise of that in terms of that, that there isn't a reason uh, to, to want to, to put yourself in the position of, you know, a Rick Gates, right? Like, and, and, and factually, right, 
the structure like okay remember all of those zero to six sentences right like we're gonna we're gonna say i know we don't have time to go down the michael flynn rabbit trail but like you know <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're gonna look at all like the reason those folks were in the o to six category is because they were charged with a single count of making a false statement right and that and and, and again parnas has that count as well but parnas has three other counts that are that are pretty significant uh and so you know so i don't necessarily agree with the premise of that question i think there is um real incentive uh to to make sure that you don't piss off the prosecutor so he could really use that downward departure and then what do you think about the joseph bondi uh alleging that there's something rotten in Denmark, uh, a.k.a. Southern District of New York, because, I mean, he, you know, he, he's, he's saying, hey, my witness was credible. And to be fair, the, the audio tape backs up what he told Maddow, the, the text messages and the documents and the emails back up what he's saying. Sort of nothing's sort of been disproven in this sort of weird sort of like a amoeba of a almost like a steel dossier situation, you know. Uh, but, but, I mean, he's still, you know... I, the allegation that there's something fishy going on uh, at the Southern District really just sort of, I, 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 I just don't know what to make of it. Yeah, it, it doesn't sit well with me either, right? Go, going back to the, the beginning of this interview. It, if you are Bondi, you can't say what, what I am about to say, which is, Lev Parnas is a terrible witness. <laughs> My client is awful. <laughs> <laughs> no one would ever put him on the stand. But 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 here's the thing, and I and I'm I'm really glad you phrased the question the, the way you did because I get I get pushed back uh, on on my show for this all the time. I, right, I've been saying this ever since the you know the the Parnas stuff broke. Um, that a bad witness can nevertheless be telling the truth about ninety five percent of what they're talking about. Right, and and. Let's let's put this into context. In the first Paul Manafort trial, right, in which the jury uh, failed to convict on basically half of the counts, um, most of the subsequent juror interviews have basically uh, have basically said, like, yeah, literally, we just didn't think Gates was a good witness, right? Like, we just weren't sure we believed everything he was saying. It just kind of seemed like he was trying to curry favor and, you know, whatever. Um, it was the documentary evidence that, that, that got them to convict. Yeah. And, and so, right, so I am super sympathetic to the counter-argument that I have gotten from other lawyers on my show, which is, yeah, when you're a prosecutor and you're busting a criminal conspiracy, um, the people who are your witnesses are also going to be criminals. That's certainly true, right? Boy Scouts don't participate in stuff like this. Yeah, I know. I've been saying, well, find me, find me a, a, a non-crimey guy from the Trump uh, that, that associates with Trump that you would trust, like that you would listen to. Please, I, I'll wait here with Sammy the Bull, and and you find me someone. And and you know you're right because we you know we can he, he I think his ninety ninety five percent of the stuff that he's saying which is backed up by his text and documentary evidence and the tape is true but then you have this no we were just joking around about you know putting surveillance on on Yovanovitch I think they friggin put a hit out on her I don't know what's going on with this Belgian guy but that's not real there's something else going on there they, we were just drunk for a whole week and and joking around. I I no, no. That can happen in Ukraine. I I have a Ukrainian <laughs> friend, and and that's that's that strikes me as not implausible. But yeah, I, look, it it 
at the end of the day, and, and, and again, I mean, you know this, but just, just so your listeners know, right? Like, I'm a civil litigator, right? Not a prosecutor. But I go through, as part of my job as a trial lawyer, this experience of asking myself, is this witness um, who may, you know, potentially have something to gain by being a witness, is this a credible witness? And I will tell you, you know, I have had multi-million dollar cases, bigger cases than that, where essentially during settlement negotiations, right, the the other side, I, I, I've been on both sides, where I've said to the other side or the other side has said to me, like, yeah, we just think, like, our witness is going to look better than your guy. Or, you know, I've said, I mean, my guy is going to come off great in front of the jury and your guy is going to come off self-serving. There's a, there's a little bit of a, like, kind of gut feeling to it. What I would say with Parnas is, it is contrast Parnas, right? <laughs> Here's somebody who's a mediocre witness, right? Um, Gordon Sondland. Right. We all saw that during the House investigation. Here was somebody who I think the average person looks at Sondland and says, yeah, he's probably telling the truth about all of this stuff. The, the third time, the third time he's probably telling the truth. Right. Well, exactly. Right. Sean Patrick Maloney was just, you know, was, was great. <laughs> we, uh, we appreciate your we appreciate your help. But, you know, we also remember what it took to get you here. Um, and and that's because Sondland hasn't really given us a good story as to when he decided to turn and save his skin, right? Someone would be a better witness if he could be persuaded to say, look, man, like, I'm just a businessman. I gave a ton of money to Trump and I wanted to buy an ambassadorship because I thought that would be cool. And I got there and I was in over my head and at some point it was just too much, man. And now like, yeah, I regret it. And uh, God, like, you know, I didn't want to sell out our country to the Russians. Right. Like if Sondland could say that, right, that would make him a better witness, but he can't say that because he's not there yet. But we all know that that's kind of where he is. Right. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm psychoanalyzing, right? What's Parnas's story? Because I will tell you, right, we all, we, we've heard, we know what Rudy Giuliani's story about Parnas's story. Like, the other side's characterization of Parnas is, this is a criminal who's facing charges who will literally say anything you want him to say if you put him in front of Rachel Maddow. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Par- Parnas can't come out and say, look, I'm a mobbed up guy. I'm the muscle man. I'm the one who goes in and makes threats. Uh, and then, you know, and then I hand it off to the bag man who goes in with the, you know, he can't do no, that. That's what he is. Yeah. But that's precisely what he is. He is, he's Rocky Balboa in the beginning of Rocky. That's what he, <laughs> that's what <laughs> oh, he does. That, that is an excellent, that is an excellent callback. Um, yeah. Like the, there is a way in which you could get him to, to do that, right? The way in which you could get him to do that would be to, grant him complete immunity, right? <laughs> to give him a non-prosecution agreement. Uh, well, I guess it would, it would now be a plea deal, you know, to, to uh, zero months on, uh, on the existing crimes, right? Like if, if you could assure Parnas that anything he said wasn't going to be used against him in subsequent prosecutions, then yeah, he would then get up and give 
that the kind of mafia informant testimony. Yeah, but we're at a point where the Southern District of New York is going to have to make that offer, and and that's Bill Barr, and I just don't see that happening because I don't think the Congress can offer him that kind of of immunity. Um, so you know, here we are, and I guess I guess like you said, we'll find out. So. Um, I, I, it's it's just hard to say. I'm, you know, like I said, I'm waiting for an, an an indictment or for Berman to resign, but for Giuliani. But you know, here we are, and 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 I think, despite everything and all the nuances, we can get in the weeds and we can talk about this for hours. I think the point here is that we just don't have faith in the independence of the Department of Justice at this point uh, in in our history, and that's that's the real sad part. Yeah, that I I think that's. I, I love that as sort of a, as sort of a takeaway, and and I don't want to obscure. I mean, I, I want to kind of parse that into two two components, right? Number one, the fact that you and I are saying that on a serious, sober news podcast in 2020 is and should be terrifying. Um, and and then number two, but that also shouldn't obscure the fact that. Um, that we do still have like real uncertainties here, right? Like I don't know what Parnas actually has and what it's going to take to get it, right? Like I have a ton of questions about like, well, why all of a sudden, you know, when the, uh, the, the house intelligence committee subpoenaed his records in December, why all of a sudden he produced this videotape yesterday or two days ago, right? Like that, that's, that's a little disconcerting to me. Um, so, you know, it, it, our institutions are broken, and it will be the task of the next president to try and rebuild them. Um, but, uh, but, 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 but we also, and like, one of the worst aspects about that is it means that there are things that we don't know, and like, that drives me crazy. Yeah, and we may never know it. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Everybody, please check out the Opening Arguments podcast if you don't already. I have a feeling that you listen to it if you're listening to this. Uh, And uh, Andrew Torres, real-life lawyer, host of Opening Arguments, thank you so much for coming on Mueller, She Wrote. Oh, A.G., thanks for having me anytime. All right, guys, that's our show. Thank you so much. Um, I was by myself today. Um, I miss Jordan. I miss Mandy, but they'll be back. And uh, I hope that you had a wonderful time. I don't really have any final thoughts other than thank you so much for all your support. And um, we really do appreciate you guys and and especially our patrons. Thank you so much. If, if you're not a patron, so you can subscribe for free wherever you get your podcast. It would really mean a lot to us. We love it when we outchart Hannity. That's always fun. And um, that, I guess that's it. Become a patron uh, if you want. Little as three bucks a month and you'll become a patron of both our podcasts, this one and The Daily Beans. You'll get The Daily Beans ad-free and early the night before it comes out to the public. And all sorts of great gifts and newsletter and my personal notes and just all sorts of great benefits. And we're going to have a video link up in here soon, too, that you'll get if you're a patron. So that's it. Please take care of yourselves and take care of each other. I've been A.G. and this is Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn with engineering and editing by Mackenzie Mazel and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, production and social media direction is by Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder, and our knowledgeable listeners. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com. M-S-W Media. <laughs>